0: This is the Make Money Blogging Podcast, Episode 10, with Digital Nomad Wannabe Founder, Sharon Goulet. In today's episode, I'm doing something different, and I'm answering all your SEO blogging questions, as well as a question about selling sites. From link building, to keywords, to tags and categories, to nofollow links, search trends, and more. I'm sure you'll be able to find some gold in today's episode to help with your own blog building. You'll learn how to select keywords, what to do with a new post for the biggest SEO gain, which posts you should link to on your site, you know, how to get a site ready to sell and much more. All topics which are important to us bloggers, so keep listening and you'll learn a ton. Welcome to the Make Money Blogging Podcast with Digital Nomad Wannabe. Each week on this show, you'll find actionable tips and strategies for growing traffic and income from your blog with no fluff. So you can quit the day job and have more freedom to do what you love. From SEO to affiliate marketing to blogging business strategies, it's all here. Let's start with your host, DigitalNomadWannabe.com founder, Sharon Gourlay. Today, we are all about SEO. If you've been following me before now, you'll know that I love SEO like so much. (laughs) It literally changed my life and my whole blogging business, which is currently a whopping 12 monetized blogs, plus there are many I've already sold is built around SEO to get targeted traffic. I really can't talk enough about how powerful SEO is for bloggers and what difference it can make to your blog once you have mastered it. So I love the questions bloggers have given me for today as it shows that you are all trying to master it too. As always, you can find today's show notes at digitalnomadwannabe.com slash episode 10, where you can find more information about this topic, including links to tutorials which explain in more depth some of the topics I'm talking about today. And if you enjoy today's show, then make sure you subscribe to the Make Money Blogging Podcast and leave a review. Now, this episode is sponsored by my free SEO bootcamp, how to get crazy amounts of blog traffic and watch your income soar. In this training, I cover my proven strategy for bringing traffic to your blog on autopilot and exactly how you can get started with SEO today for great results, which won't only bring you that traffic, but also make you income. You can join today for free at freeseoclass.com or again, it will be linked to in my show notes. Now, let's dive in. We'll be covering some big questions that D&W community members had when I posted my request for questions for this podcast in my Facebook group, which you can find at dnwcommunity.com. My first question comes from Alexandrina. I would like to ask how you pick a main keyword. Where do you put it in your blog and how do you proceed in finding more keywords to add? Also, what do you use to measure post-success? Well, thanks for this question because it's very important. So I'm going to go over all the parts of your question and answer it all now um, and really talk about keywords. But I do want to say first, um, it really is very useful as well to not just listen to my explanation here, but definitely go to digitalnomadwannabe.com slash episode 10 to my show notes and I will link to my tutorial about exactly how to do this as well. Because I think being able to watch me actually do this, not just talk about it, is a great way to help solidify the understanding you'll get from this episode. Okay. You get to look over my shoulder and look at me finding keywords as I explain what I'm looking for. So when it comes to keywords, I basically uh, need to look at two things. Now, one is the search volume. Okay, that's how many people search for a keyword a month on average. And also how competitive the keyword is. And that's basically around how easy would it be if I was to write a blog post on this topic, for me to be able to get in that top 10 in Google search results or to get a top 10 ranking as it's often called. Because if you're not on that top page for whatever you write about, then you're really just not going to get traffic to that blog post, at least not from search engines. So I'm really trying to weigh up those two things when I look at keywords. So you really need to use a keyword tool to do this. And I always recommend Key Search. Again, I'll link to it in my show notes and along with a coupon code. So you can get 30% off if you sign up with that link. So yeah, I use that to look at the search volume for topics that I'm thinking about. So I'll put in a topic I'm thinking about writing about. I'll look at everything that comes up. I'll filter by search volume. I like something 170 plus in search volume. Obviously the higher, the better though. And then I will look at the top 10 entries, which KeySearch will show me for the keywords that look interesting, that have a high enough search volume and also describe what I want to write about. Now, when I look at that top 10, what I'm looking for is at least two entries in that top 10 that if I had a blog post on the blogging question, that I feel like I could outrank them. Just really looking at stats. That's all I'm looking at for the moment when I'm talking about this. So the stats that I look at is how many links there are to the blog posts in the top 10 from other websites and what the domain authority of those websites are. Now, there's always a lot of discussion about domain authority and I'll be talking about it in response to another question in a minute. You know, it's not a perfect measure. This is a measure from Moz. It's nothing to do with Google, but it's as good as we've got, I feel, to try and sort of uh, compare how authoritative different websites are because right? what we're looking for is websites that have less authority than what our own have. So I'm really looking for a DA that is lower than the DA of my own website. And You can find out your DA by going to Moz and using their little tool to find out what it is. Now, in key we will show you the DA of all those top 10 sites and I'm looking for two that are lower than mine. Now, the exception to this is when you've got a newer site, you know, your DA is not going to be that high. I just pretend my DA is 30, or it can just be impossible to find anything. And I know that I need to work on link building, that that will be part of what I need to do to help push this post up in the search results. Now, it's not quite as black and white as this, because how relevant your site is compared to how relevant other sites are in that top 10 can make a big difference too. So by that, I mean, like, Say you're a parenting blog and you are looking for an article about how to stop tantrums. Okay. Now, if you go look at that top 10 and all the sites ranking are more broad, they're not parenting sites, say they're just more general knowledge websites, or they're even sites in another niche, then that can be a really good sign. Okay. And then I wouldn't care as much if I had higher authority than those sites, because I know that my relevance for my site might push me over the line. So I do this a lot with my Malaysia website. You know, I have a site that's just about traveling in Malaysia. Now, if I just see a keyword where there's a lot of general travel blogs ranking, then I know that I have an advantage. Okay. So then I might just want to see one site that has a lower domain authority than me. But that's basically what I'm doing. I'm looking at the top 10 entries. I'm hoping to see uh, sites ranking that have a lower DA than mine. And I want to see them having less uh, links to their posts. So I want to see them having zero or one links maximum. If all the the posts in that top 10 have, you know, hundreds of links to them, then that wouldn't be a keyword I'd go after, right? It means it's really competitive. The other thing I look at too is whether the posts are on the exact topic that the keyword is about. So say you are looking for a keyword, again, say about stopping uh, tantrums, but all the posts on there are just general posts about two-year-olds, you know, and they happen to cover a bit about tantrums, but they're not specifically on tantrums. Hey, that's another good sign that if you be more specific, that you really answer what people are looking for when they search for those keywords. So the keywords in this case about tantrums, and that can help you get up there too. I also, you know, unless it looks really clear when I look at that top 10, that it looks pretty easy. If it's a bit borderline where I think I can rank or not, I will open the posts and have a look at them. And, and what I'm really looking for is posts that aren't very good, you know, like they're very brief or they're not quite on the topic. You know, if I see a couple of posts like that, that would be enough to nudge me over and, and think that it's a good keyword. Now, when I have this main keyword, how do I use it? Okay, well, what I do with it is I definitely don't put it in the Yoast tool and use it 50 million times in my articles. It's not what I recommend at all. All you need to do is put it in your title of your article, in the meta description, in one of your subheadings, and I also put it in the introduction. So in the text as high as possible in the article. Okay, that's all I do. Now, what I do do is I go find a whole lot of other keywords and I also use them in the article once each. So I do that basically by using a keyword tool. So key research in my case, I put in my main keyword and what will happen is it will bring back hundreds of other keywords. Okay, usually you get like 700 or something keywords. Now I'll try to filter them because there'll be a lot there that aren't relevant. Try and make up some rules of, of what you could filter out. You know, so back to the tantrum example, maybe there's a whole lot of posts that's just on two-year-olds, but nothing to do with tantrum. So maybe I actually want to see the word tantrum in the keywords. So you can filter on that in key search and just try and get the list down a bit. Then I'll export that list and manually filter it out. So filter out the keywords that aren't relevant or grammatically don't make sense or something like that. Also, some of the keywords will sort of be matched. So say you had tantrum two-year-old and tantrum two-year. Hey, okay, maybe not the best example in the world, but you can combine those keywords like tantrum two-year is combining tantrum two-year-old. So you can effectively remove tantrum two-year from your list of keywords because you will include it when you include tantrum two-year-old. So I just filter, try and get it as low as possible. And then I just add as many of those keywords to the article as possible. And that's basically a brief overview of how I use and find keywords. Now, when it comes to measuring success, I basically track the main keyword to work out if I was successful or not. So this means I put it in a tracking tool like KeySearch has one and I measure over time and I see if it hits that top 10. Because to me, success is getting in that top 10. Now, if it makes it, great. You know, I can learn from that. That keyword was a good choice. What was it that made it a good choice? You know, try and help it help me learn so that when I pick other keywords, I can pick as good as possible. Likewise, if it doesn't make it, why not? Did the keyword get more competitive? Is there any reason I can find? Now, why this is a really useful process, I do want to point out here that it's not worth overanalyzing, okay? What you want to see happen when you pick keywords is the majority of them make it to that top 10. Then, in the majority of the time, you're picking well and learn from that. Is there certain, you know, subtopics where you go better versus other ones? But try not to get too hung up on an individual post. You know, maybe once a week, someone posts in the DNW Facebook group going, why didn't this one post made it? You know, I've got higher authority than the rest and my article's better, blah, blah, blah. You know, I understand your pain. There's articles where I know I've put so much effort in. They really should have got to that top 10 but you know, occasionally they don't. And getting yourself worked up or spending too long on it just isn't really worth it. It's just kind of the nature of SEO. As long as most of your posts are doing what you want them to do, then you are no doubt doing the right thing. And occasionally, you know, there will just be a keyword that Google just decides isn't right for your site and it might be hard to work that out. But you definitely want to be tracking and learning. Just don't beat yourself up over it. So my next question is how to create an SEO article like in the proper way. Now, this is a really big question as well. And I do have a post exactly on this on Digital Nomad Wannabe, which steps you through what you need to do for a new post to optimize it for SEO. And I'm definitely linking to that in the show notes at digitalnomadwannabe.com slash episode 10. So that's the best place to go because you can go get a checklist and everything you know print it out use it each time you do a blog post but for now I will go over this what you need to do so you definitely need to find a keyword and you need to do everything I just talked about but while this is a big task and one of the most important for SEO for your blog it's not the only task now what's also really important, is that you really want to make sure any article you write is the best article on the topic. It should deserve to be in the top 10. If you're writing a post, it doesn't deserve to be in the top 10 in the world, remember, for the topic you're writing about, then, you know, you don't really deserve that top 10 ranking. So you you do really need to make your article brilliant. You know, think about what people want to know on your chosen topic. What questions would they have if they're searching on that, that you can answer? You know, look at articles already in that top 10 for ideas of what your article should include. You know, look at the keywords that you found, all those extra keywords. A lot of the time, those can help you find other topics. You know, for example, say you're writing about things to do in Paris, and there are a whole lot of keywords around a three day itinerary in Paris. So that could be a really good thing to include as a section in your article. Or sometimes these even give you good ideas for like additional articles. But let's just concentrate on the one blog post at the moment. You know, the keywords can help guide you to the types of things people want to do. I really do consider keyword research not just great for SEO, but really great market research. You know, it tells you what people want to know. So, you know, use it to help guide you. Now your article should be thorough and detailed and just really fantastic. It should have no errors. should be easy to read. You should be able to skim it, you know, short paragraphs, everything you can do to make it more readable. should have pictures to break up the text, you know, great English or whatever language it is you blog in. The page should load properly and fast and not look sketchy. You know, you don't have to have the best blog design in the world for SEO, as you'll know if you've looked at any of my websites, because I've never hired someone professional and I hate design work and I'm no good at it. But it, it doesn't matter, right? As long as the site doesn't look dodgy, doesn't look like people have landed on a bad place, it's all fine. You really want to make sure that people just have no reason to click back. So that's what you're trying to cover off by having a great article, by answering all their questions, by making it easier to read, by not having errors, all these things We'll make sure people have no reason to go back to Google and ask for another result. You should also have internal and external links in your post. These are all really important for SEO. It's also important for user friendliness, right? Like why not link to other posts that can help your readers as well? Your posts should have a category, you know, categorize it in some way, help people navigate the site that way that also passes around um, authority on your site. So it's important. And finally, make sure you have a great meta description. So that's a short little description you write about the article that is often shown in Google search results. You can't make Google show it, but a lot of the time they will. So make sure you have a great meta description. It should be within 160 characters, should have your main keyword. Describe what your article is about and entice people to click through to your article. So it needs to do a lot in 160 characters, uh, but I mean, you get used to writing them. So Beth asked me a question about the differences between no follow, no referrer, and sponsored in links. Okay, so it's something that people can definitely get confused about. I know when I first started blogging, it, I found it very confusing. And that was before there was sponsored and all these other options, which have come out more recently. So basically, when you create a link, in your blog post to another site, Google wants you to tell them if you have a relationship with the site you're linking to. Hey, by relationship, they're referring to a commercial relationship. So that means they've paid you for the link. Maybe you have an affiliate program or even, you know, say you're a travel blogger and you stayed in a hotel for the night in return for them writing about you. Even though you've got no money, that is a commercial relationship and the link should be marked as such. Now, Google just really wants you to do this to sort of police the internet for them somewhat because they use links as a big part of their search algorithm, like links to a site and to a page. They want to make sure that people don't game the system by paying for links. Okay, They want you to help them make sure people aren't gaming them basically by marking the link if it's been paid for so that Google knows and it can wait the link taking that into account. So until recently, if the link was sponsored in any way, like any relationship like we just talked about, you would mark it as no follow, and it's rel equals no follow is the thing in the link. And again, in the show notes, I will link to a post that explains exactly how to put this code in. Now, more recently, they added some other options, one of which was sponsored. And now they're saying they would prefer us if the link is sponsored, that you mark it as sponsored instead of no follow. But the good news is if you just mark it as no follow, that's still fine too. You don't have to have changed it. And I know that it can be a bit overwhelming thinking, do I have to go change them all? You know, and as Beth points out, you know she uses a plugin much like I do, and it doesn't mark them as sponsored. Right, they're no follow to go change them all would be really annoying. So I can totally understand because I'm in the same position. And the line I'm taking at this point in time is that Google is fine with them just being no follow. So I'm just keeping them no followed until. Thirsty Affiliates, which is the plugin I use for all my affiliates. Uh, since I don't do sponsored posts, that's where I like all my links need to change the sponsored really from no follow. I'm just waiting to at some point I'm hopeful they will update it and they can all be marked as sponsored very quickly and easily then. And that's when I'll do it. Now if your links are all in your posts manually, what I would just do is if you're updating a post, then change the link to sponsored at that point in time. But I wouldn't go, you know, like spend a couple of days trying to find every link on your site which is no follow and change it to sponsored. So that's the approach I would take. It's really up to you. As long as you're at least marking any link with like a commercial relationship as no follow, then you are fine. Now, you also mentioned no referral, but that's really a separate thing altogether and about how information is passed between browsers. And WordPress just adds that automatically. I wouldn't overly worry about it. Although there is reports of Amazon knocking people out of their program because they've got no referral tags. But there's only so much you can do when WordPress keeps adding it. You can add code to get rid of that. But yeah, that's a whole other topic, really. It's not really related to the nofollow sponsored argument. So Joe has got a few questions for me, um, starting with should tags and categories be indexed? Now, there's some arguments both ways for whether you should index tags and categories. So that basically means whether you're letting Google see them and add them to their index or not. Now, some people do remove them because of duplicate content issues. So the problem is when tags and categories are indexed is that any blog post that is in that tag or category, it like gets indexed again as being under that tag and category. So you you could end up with posts being indexed lots and lots of times. Now, in an ideal world, you don't really want that to happen. But as long as you're not going overboard with tags and categories, you know, if you're one of those people that has like 300 tags or something and you've marked, you know, each post has like 10 tags, tags marked. Then honestly, what I would do instead of de-indexing categories and tags is to clean up all of that and get rid of all the ones you don't need. But I mean, you may consider de-indexing tags and categories instead just to get rid of that whole duplicate content issue. But me personally, I'm reluctant to de-index a tag or a category simply because there is so much internal link benefits getting passed around with tags and categories. So I'm really talking about when you're using WordPress with this. I'm not sure how it works in every other system out there you can you can use to build a blog. But, you know, in WordPress, categories and tags are linked to automatically on every blog post, you know, and automatically it creates an archive which Google can index with those categories and tags and stuff in there. And all that means is that you've got a lot of internal linking going on there. And internal linking is a really good thing for your website. So it's good that a post links to its categories and tags. That means if a link comes in, from another site to that blog post, you can get passed along to other posts in that tag or category because of those links. So there is just a lot of link benefit getting passed around with archives, which are what tags and categories are called. So for that reason, I personally do not de-index them. I don't really care if there's a little bit of duplicate content going around because of the tags and categories because the reality is so many sites in the world. I think I saw once it was like 30% or maybe even higher of the sites in the world are on WordPress. So you know, it's like everybody has this problem. I wouldn't overly worry about it, but I wouldn't have tons of tags and categories either. And Joe's also wondering if she wants to delete personal posts from a blog in order to niche down and also take the writing out of the public domain, like what to do about that. So as someone who has deleted literally hundreds and hundreds of personal posts, um, I have gone through this personally. You know, my original blog, my travel blog, I had for a zillion years before I ever realized that you could make money from blogging. And by the time that I sold that blog, you know, there was like nothing left from those like a thousand posts that I started with when I got serious. They all eventually got removed. So yeah, I I have done this process myself. I wouldn't worry about it. It certainly didn't hurt me. I I imagine it probably helped me actually because I had so many badly written crappy posts on there. But what I did was I tried to not remove too many at once because I just had so many. So I sort of took a line of 10%. I wouldn't remove more than 10% of the blog content at once. That's why it did take me a few years because I had to really up the content to have a thousand posts I could get rid of. So I would delete them. If there was a relevant post, like as in a post on the same topic as the post I was deleting, then set up a redirect okay, so that it goes from the one you're deleting to something else that's relevant. If there's nothing relevant, honestly, I just deleted them and I didn't worry about it. It can bring up errors in your search console for a little bit, but Google eventually gets the picture that you just don't want that post on there and you don't care. Uh, another time when I would redirect is also if there's any external links or so you had a lo- lot of social shares or something like that to any of the posts, then I would redirect those too. i mean if if you want to play it safe, you can redirect every post. It's probably the best practice thing to do. There, there, there may be people out there shaking their head at me saying that that I just didn't redirect and I just removed. But the reality is when you have like literally a thousand posts to remove like I did, it's just not worth the effort of setting up all those redirects. You know there was no value to that content, but, It really depends on your situation and I've gone to your blog before, Joe. so I think that you probably have much better quality posts that you want to get rid of than what I did. So in an ideal world, redirect them all. If you just find that it's going to prevent you from being able to do it because it's too much work to redirect them all and there's just nothing relevant, then I would just delete and, and not worry. So Vicky's asking, should I try to get backlinks to a post that I will probably not be able to rank for because the competition is just too strong in order to gain authority on that topic? So her example is, it just say she has a post about Paris and she's written the top things to do in Paris and she knows that she'll never be able to rank that. Should she try to get links to it anyway in order to have links to all my posts on the topic? to show Google I'm an authority on Paris or should I try to only get backlinks to like a Paris itinerary post and Paris neighborhood posts that she has a trans to rank for? Now, I think this is a really good question. Now, to sort of step sideways to give a slightly different example, I do do this sometimes for tags or categories where I know I have a great post as part of the tag or category page that then links out to all other posts within that archive. So say, you know, I had a tag on Paris and I had a great sort of little guide to Paris on that tag. You can put content on a tag and then, of course, a tag link to all the other posts. Now, I'm never going to rank for the word Paris, like obviously, but I may get links to that post because that post links to all my other Paris posts. Getting a link to that post gives a good benefit to all those other posts. Okay, So it's a really good way to share the benefit of links. But, of course, when you get a link directly to a post like your Paris itinerary, like you're saying, that is much more powerful than it's sort of going via a third party to get to you with the tag. But a combination of all these things can be really beneficial. But for the example that you're using with like a things to do in Paris, unless it's like a really high authority post that's really, by that I mean a really good post that's really linking to all those other posts you have about Paris in a way that's really going to pass around any benefit of the links. I just wouldn't do it. I wouldn't just think you need to link to each Paris post to be seen as an authority. Any links to your Paris post should help you be seen as an authority. The only reason I would link to something other than those individual posts is what I'm talking about just before. Like if that things to do in Paris was like my tags, where it linked to all the other posts on that topic, then there could be some benefit to putting some links that way. Uh, it's just like how I think there's benefit to putting links to your homepage, right? You want to mix it up. You want to have links to your homepage, to your categories or whatever you use as your next level down in your site structure into your blog posts. You know, share it around um, and then have great internal linking so that any links to your site get shared around really well. But when it comes to be seen as an authority to Google, I really think links to any of your posts on Paris would help with that and you wouldn't really need to spread the links around equally. So Monica's talking about having a new travel blog that she just launched in February this year that's obviously not getting any Google traffic because it's new and travel traffic stopped with COVID-19. So she's currently building links and taking what she's learned in the link building challenge that we ran in the d and group recently seriously, as well as trying to learn a lot about SEO. But she's saying with traffic being so strange these past few months, she's only seen traffic from Pinterest and socials. What should a new blog be doing right now to ride out the COVID storm and be seen? Or should we just be patient? Well, as someone who started a whole lot of new sites during COVID-19, it's a bit ridiculous. I really don't think you need to do anything different at this time than any other, even in travel. I have a new travel site, new two travel sites as well. The reality is with new sites, it's just that patience is huge, especially with SEO. You know, the site's only four months old, and I find it takes about six months before Google really starts to start ranking me. Now, what you haven't said is whether you're using keywords, you know, make sure you're using really great keywords and you're really sure about the process to find good ones and then write you know, great articles using all the things I talked about earlier in this episode. Now, there are many tutorials on this on com, and my 10-week fast track program walks right through it because it's not just about links, but finding those holes in the market for your content, which is what you're doing with the keyword research. Now, if you are doing this, make sure you're tracking how your keywords are ranking. Even with a new site, you know, the posts that you put up at least a few months ago anyway, you should start seeing some improvement in your ranking. So that's a main way to sort of track if you're, you know, if you're making progress because getting actual traffic at this point, it's still a bit early and, you know, you have COVID-19 going on. So really the best way for any of us travel bloggers that are currently hit with problems with the pandemic and people not traveling is to just look at your rankings because that will tell you if you've actually gone backwards with SEO or if it's just people are not there to click on your articles at the moment. Now with my new travel site, what I'm doing is I'm doing what I always do. If you've read my case study on digital which I'll link to in the show notes as well, I'm just doing the same thing again right now. You know, writing articles to great keywords and growing links. You know, the traffic will come. I actually don't think this is a bad time to be starting in travel since it takes time to get the traffic anyway. And it doesn't really matter that no one is searching for travel. Although when I say no one is searching, as I'm recording this in the last few days, you know, my Malaysia traffic is is heading right back up there again, actually. Uh, so it's definitely starting to come back depending on what exactly you're writing about in travel and who your audience is and, and how they feel about everything. Uh, but it is starting to come back. And like I said, the reality is with a new site, it really is just about patience. Like don't feel down. If you just work on the SEO, if you work on the good keywords, you work on the link building, by the end of the year, you'll be seeing some progress. It's a more realistic time frame. So now I have some questions from Supriya. Hopefully I got your name okay. What are some ways to observe search trends in your niche? Well, Google Trends is the place to go to look for search trends. It can give you an idea of what areas in your niche are getting more popular, which are declining, so you can make some smart decisions. Of course, anything you look at at the moment could be very much swayed by the current pandemic. Um, so just take that into account when you're trying to work out if it's a big thing. Because if it's just big, you know, if it, if it took off in like February, March, it might give you an idea that it's something that's big right now, but might not sustain after that. Or if it dropped off a lot in February, and March, doesn't mean it won't be big again soon. What are the advantages of hosting a collab post? Well, I mean, there's quite a few advantages It gets you some content that you might not be able to produce. Otherwise, if you don't have the knowledge and you really want that content on your blog, it helps you network with other bloggers. But really, for me, the big thing that I love and why I tend to do one early on in starting a new site is just to get the social shares. I think that they really help with SEO. And for a new site, that can be quite valuable. For example, on my Malaysia site, when I first started that, my first post to start getting traffic was actually a post on the best features in Malaysia, which was pretty competitive and I'm not really a beach person, so it was good for me, I could, especially to get the photos on the beaches and different people's perspectives. You know, it worked quite well. And yeah, and it started taking off first, despite the fact it was more competitive than other articles I'd written. And I really think that was because of the social share. So there's benefits there too. Last question, I've read a your post that say, if your blog is less than DA30, the Domain Authority 30, Moz's measure, focus on link building and creating content. I'm also updating previous posts along with that. Anything else you can do to get to DA30? Would six months be a good time to expect any changes? So again, you know, domain authority is a mod measure and it's all about links. So it's really just about links to try and get your domain authority up. Now, within six months, you should definitely see changes. They update it all the time. But, you know, it's actually rare these days for my site to get to DA30. And the only time I check actually is when I'm running a collab, as some other bloggers want to know that to contribute. But otherwise, I don't really pay attention to my own site's Domain authority, to be honest. Now, if you're tracking your progress with ranking keywords, you'll start to know when you can rank for a keyword and when you can't. You know, the more that you do keyword research, the more that you track your own results and and really learn from what's happening, the more domain authority won't matter to you because you'll see a top 10. You'll see what the other sites are like and your own domain authority won't matter because you'll know if you can slide into there or not from what's happened in the past. You know, I really just say 30 is a guideline because bloggers always want hard numbers. And I think it is a good number to aim for, for sure. It's not that easy to get to 30. You know, my sites tend to get to like the mid-20s to high-20s very easily. Uh, but usually they're, they're not even hitting 30 by the time I'm ready to sell them when they're three years old. But in that time, you know, they're getting plenty of traffic and they're making plenty of money. So it shows it's not necessary. What is more necessary is that you do build links to your sites, that you do use great keywords and you really learn what keywords are working for your blog and use that to help you pick future topics as well. Now, I've got one more question, which is back to Joe, which is a bit sideways, actually not at all to do with SEO. And that's her wanting to know my top tips for preparing a blog for sale. So I'm a big advocate of, of selling blogs when you, when you just don't want them anymore. I've done it a few times now. Uh, and I've certainly learned a lot from the process. And the biggest thing I've learned is that you really need to decide a year in advance that you want to sell your blog. Okay? Or at least if you're thinking about it, start taking action a year in advance because there's things you're going to want to do. Okay? The first one you're want to go, you going to want to do from like a personal perspective is remove the personal things on the air of you that you wouldn't want someone else to own. So that means like photos or any like more personal posts or information about yourself or your family or anyone else you've written about on your blog. If you want that stuff off when you sell it, you need to remove it a year in advance. You can't remove it just before you list it. Now that's because your revenue is dependent on the content on your site. Okay. So especially like the easiest example is say advertising. If your blog posts are longer, you can put more ads and you can make more money. If you're removing parts of the blog posts to remove a personal bit or to remove photos, it can affect the income. And it's hard to judge exactly how much you've made a difference to the income. So when someone's looking at your last 12 months of income to work out what to pay, you know, if you removed a whole lot of content right before they're looking, they're just not going to know what your site is worth or what it's going to earn for them. And if they find out you removed all that stuff, you could be in a lot of trouble. So you really need to do all that a year beforehand. Okay. Now, the other big thing that I would do, and this is the more important part to earn more money from the sale, is to really try and lower your costs and the time that you spend in that year leading up. Because generally, and not always, but generally, they will look at the last 12 months and get an average of your profit over that time. So not revenue, but profit to work out the sale price. Now, when they're taking that into account, they're going to take into account how long you spend on your blog. Okay? Because if your blog earns $1,500 a month, for example, and you work 40 hours a week, you know, no one wants to pay you money to take on a 40 hour a week job for $1,500 a month right? So you really need to get your effort back to as little as possible so that your blog is worth more because you'll have to take out the equivalent of an income for yourself, okay? So you want it to look as desirable as possible and to make as much money as possible. You want your costs and your time as low as possible. Now, when I sold my travel blog, you know, I didn't do the best job in preparing for some of that on purpose, but it kind of happened accidentally because I'd got sick of it and I didn't really want to do it anymore. I pretty much hadn't spent any time on it And, you know, it proved that it held its income and even went up without me doing that. So it made it very attractive to sell. And that's the type of thing that you want to show if you want to sell your blog. So that's the end of this Q&A session. And to recap, today I answered SEO questions from the DNW community all around elements of SEO from links to keywords, search trends to nofollows. And we also talked about getting a site ready to sell. Now, remember, you can find the show notes for this episode at digitalnomadwannabe.com slash episode 10, which include links to tutorials on these topics, as well as a link to my free 60-minute SEO bootcamp, which you can find at freeseoclass.com. Make sure you subscribe to this channel because next episode, we are going to be eating our way to SEO success. Yes, we're going to be talking about the latest acronym in SEO, EAT, or Expertise, Authoritativeness, and Trustworthiness something I think is going to be integral in SEO going forward. I look forward to chatting to you about this, Dan. Thanks for listening to Make Money Blogging with Digital Nomad Wannabe. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast for more actionable tips and strategies for growing traffic and income for your blog so you can build a blogging business you love. Don't forget to leave a review so we can continue to bring you the best content. See you next episode.